If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Oh, right. same here. All right. So, so very well. I mean, I did look, but there's only so much you can say. That so. I mean, that's true in any situation. In any situation, <laughs> there's so much you can say. There's just only so much you can say. Captain Obvious here. Captain Obvious. Um. <clears throat> Hi, Marleya. Hi, Patrice. Uh. So. Um. Show. Well, let's see. What What are we doing right oh, now? Oh, shoot. Show notes. Show notes oh. and, uh, wait, what? Oh, man. <laughs> We're so unprepared right now because I did have some show notes and I was like, I need to say that. Do you know what and they are? No. <laughs> wait, let me let me say mine okay, while you it. think about yours. I'll think really hard. We're welcoming Susan back. It's fun to have Susan Yay, back in the room with Susan. us. Thank and, you. And uh, I'll talk about, um, so last week we talked about lepers in Louisiana. Right. And... Um, Actually, I had my entire my entire extended family was in town. Well, not my entire, but my aunts and a bunch of my cousins were all in town last weekend. And I went over to um, visit with them after we did the show and ended up telling both of our stories all over again with less cussing. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all super fascinated by both of them. So hopefully everybody else was, too. The, um, we got a note from a listener named Miri. Um, oh, yeah. About leprosy and kind of explaining some of the Hebrew language that was behind the interpretation of leprosy in the Torah and the Septuagint. And I started looking up some of that stuff, but I didn't follow it up like extensively yet because I've been super behind all week. But uh, thanks for listening to Miri. And she also, I like, uh, hope that she'll respond to me. If you're listening, respond to me because I'm fascinated by, she talked about the fact that I think she's in North Carolina now, but her people are from, oh no, she did respond. You responded. I'm ready. <laughs> I will get to it. Also, we've been drinking for a little while already. Um, the uh, her people are from Alabama, and they're Jewish, like a history Jewish plantation owners in Alabama. And I was like, I didn't. I don't know. think I've ever heard those I, I, words together before. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, I didn't know that that was a thing. So, so. that may be a new uh, a new topic for us to follow up in the future. But uh, thanks for listening. I'm glad you yes, enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thanks for your notes. Thank you. Um, do you remember what you were going to say? I did. Awesome. So. Um, we are talking about the chick, the haunted chicken house. Yes. And so I brought up wondering if it was like a haunted sex workers place. I have and, no idea and why that you was, thought that. Right. And you had no idea. <laughs> so but baffled. somebody followed up. And I'm sorry, I cannot think of your, your name right at the tip of my brain right now. But somebody followed up with... Um, a link like urban legend link <gasps> slang and it was a chicken house is like slang um and i don't know when it, where it originated for like a house of ill repute no shit so i knew i just didn't pull that out of my ass somewhere <laughs> i was wondering i was like because you were so stunned i was like have you not heard about chicken houses <laughs> And then you like made me start questioning myself. It's like, well, have I not heard of chick? I mean, did I just totally make that up? But um, no, it is actually a thing. Wow. I'm vindicated. (laughs) You are vindicated. Also, I've been searching hashtag zombie chickens on Instagram all week looking for like the perfect thing to post. (laughs) 
Oh, uh, yay. yay. Uh, okay, well, any we have any more housekeeping stuff? I think that stuff? was it. That was my main deal. <clears throat> I know you've been, you're, you're working on map making right now. Oh, yes, I am. I uh, spent all of yesterday, like, looking up latitude and longitudes for all of the stories that we've done so far. Pretty amazing. put them on a map, and we've done a lot. I was going mean, to say. Only, this is our 17th episode, which, oh, my God. To begin with. Yeah. But then we've been doing two stories an episode. So, you know, 17 times two is a number. Is a lot. Is <laughs> <laughs> a lot. And so it took me a lot longer than I was uh, thought it would do. But um, it's kind of the start of this project that I'm working on that eventually I'm going to print up some um, maps, designed maps with our locations on it. And I'm thinking about dividing it into seasons. Mm-hmm. So if we do a quarter. Okay. Totally boring. I'm not even going to worry with this. <laughs> but I will put a link um, to the page that has all of our locations. And so there you can like actually look to see what you maybe you live near and didn't know that was actually in a story. And um, or if you're traveling somewhere, you can look at the map and say, oh, I can just, you know, swing by Florence and drive over Mountain yes. Tom Clark. Like I'm going to yes. do in a couple of weeks. Awesome. Oh, so, well, Yay. Yay. That's awesome. That's going to be super cool. And it was. It was a little overwhelming to look at the number of little pinpoints that were on that map already. I forgot that there were two per episode. So I was like, holy shit, we talk so much. Yes. Yes. But no, it, it was overwhelming. Yes. That's well, a good word. <laughs> so there are so many stories that you can choose from every week that like I I try and go with themes at some level or another because... Um, not because, like, as podcasts, I know you're not listening to them, like, when we actually release them all the time. Some people are. Um, right. But, like, not everybody is. So, themes, eh, whatever. Yeah. They just help me to narrow stuff down because it's really hard to pick. Like, it's hard to run a search on. You can't just do, like, strange southern folklore anymore, you know? Right. I mean, you've got to really kind of start, like, like narrowing in. in on some mm-hmm. stuff. So, this week, it's, uh, it's currently Good Friday, and I am on my second tequila sunrise yes. sacrilege themed <laughs> drink. Um, oh my gosh, tequila sunrise. So thank you good. to Courtney for the recommendation. Yeah, so good. And um, and I was thinking, okay, so it's Easter weekend. <laughs> So I have two choices. I'm a little scared here. (laughs) I could either do zombies. Resurrection. (laughs) Right. Which was really tempting. I like I found some I I need to share this awesome zombie article I found. But anyways, so I could either do, you know, zombies eh, Mm -hmm. or the one that's a little less likely to get me struck by lightning. Um, (laughs) uh, Faith healers. So oh. I landed on faith healers. Interesting. Um, which could also, I don't know, anything yeah. could really get, nothing's going to get me struck by lightning. It's okay. We're in a basement. It's, we're, cool. it's, it's, we're in a basement. It's, everything is safe, you know. <laughs> right. God, I've drunk so much. Um, so I'm going to start my story about faith healers. And it may not sound inherently Southern, but believe me, I'm going to get there. I think it's pretty Southern. It, well, it's weird. Okay, so let me tell you this, because I've looked okay. this up, and I thought this was pretty inherently Southern, too, but then I was like, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. Okay. So, <clears throat> so like, the what I'm thinking of is, like, these faith healers that were l- the showmen of faith healers, who, like, traveled the country in these massive tents and did tent right. revivals with healing um, powers. Right. And apparently, that kind of thing didn't really start until, like, right after World War II. Which is one website that I found said, after the lean spiritual years of the war, um, 
which I guess I would think that those would be pretty robust spiritual that's leaders. What I, that's kind of like opposite of what I would <laughs> yeah, think as really. well. Be like people praying that, you know. Uh, like all the time. I mean, you know, right. dark maybe. We could say dark, but I don't know that we would say lean here. Right. Um, but anyways, like after the war, there were two national like um, church movements that started in two slightly different directions. So one was Billy Graham. Right. Like the national evangelical movement. And the other one was the healing revival movement. And um, Is that this the one with snakes. Uh, no, that is distinctly Appalachian. Okay. <laughs> so the healing revival movement is these like tent revival preachers that would travel all around the country and people would line up and line up and line up to come see them and be healed. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about names that I honestly didn't know, except for Oral Roberts. I did know him because mm-hmm. of his Oklahoma University, right? Tulsa, I think, is where he his university is. So he's had the most, la- his name has had the most staying power. William Brannan is another one, or Branham, um, and a lot of other guys like A.A. A. Allen. They're, they're a bunch of names. Um, mm-hmm. But um, so they were like Holy Ghost Miracle Revival is what they called themselves between like 47 and 58. So they would go all over the country and do these kind of things. Um, <clears throat> so like when I always thought of tent revivals, I always did think of the South because you can't go through like any of our towns anytime after the beginning of spring and not see some sign on somebody's like church sign that says like revival featuring revival featuring, you know, Reverend whatever. Um, because they, I mean, all, all the Protestant and independent churches do revivals all the time. And you know, even when I grew up in Virginia, I went to like a, a liberal, uh, Baptist church, if there's such a thing, I went to a liberal progressive Baptist church outside of, um, DC and we even had revival. They just called it lay renewal. They called it something different where everybody mm-hmm. would travel to one place and like the whole, but these are specific to like, they came, people came just to be healed by these specific people. Oh wow. Um, so that was, that's what makes it like, it's not uniquely Southern. It was actually much more of a Midwestern thing. Um, a lot of these guys were from Indiana, Oklahoma, you know, like areas out there, you okay. know, not where I, I like box states with eyes in them. I don't know where they are or what they <laughs> are called. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, and I was thinking like, so here it, it may not have actually even been as big of a deal in the South, primarily because like we had holy rollers, you know, we had like charismatics and you could go down the street any week and like grab a fucking snake. I mean, it's not like you didn't see miracles, you know, if you right. wanted to see them around here, you know, so there, there were lots of charismatics in the Appalachians and, or Appalachians in like Alabama, Mississippi, South Carolina, like they were everywhere. So holiness churches, Pentecostals, and they say that there are only like 40 churches that still do snake handling. And I think that is an absolute lie. There have got to be more than that. I mean, they just don't report to like surveys and shit. Oh, wow. See, I was thinking that's kind of a high number. But oh, yeah. man, I just assume they're everywhere. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I just assume it, but I do. I really do. <laughs> but so anyway, I think maybe like in the South, when we think of tent revival, we, we might think of something slightly different than this. This was like people traveling like across states to go see these particular preachers to heal them. Right. Um, so like I said, I talked about like Oral Roberts in the fifties, he was Pentecostal. He was drawing 30,000 people to his tents when he would do these things. Um, and a lot of these, they had like their own publications, like newsletters, magazines. There was like, they would call like the voice of healing was one healing waters, herald of healing, all about healing, all about, you know, faith. So, um, most of these guys, they didn't do their job for a long time because if you can, I'm going to put some YouTube video links of this particular guy I'm going to talk about. You wouldn't be able to physically manage to do this very long because of the amount of like just body work that they put into what they do. 
I can't even imagine the amount of stress that it takes to be in front of a tent of like 30 to 50,000 people. Are you talking about like gyrating and they, stuff? I mean, or just the, showmanship? Voice, the showmanship, the voices that they use. The, I mean, because you know, like if you're performing for, and I'm going to call it performing because I'm mm-hmm. going to be straight up about how I feel about it. But like if you're performing for any amount of time, like you do a show, you do a, you know, I mean, I'm with right. theater people, you know, the, you, you put your whole body into it. You do end up exhausted. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, a, but these guys are up there for hours and hours at a time, night after night and traveling in between. And what they're doing is just like super physically taxing. So like some of them after a year would just burn out and quit. Oh well, yeah. But, um, they had to have managers. I mean, this was big. Mis- they had like people it and, was um, it yeah. was a business. And so Gordon Lindsay was another one. Um, and Jack Coe is the guy that I'm talking about today. Um, so Jack Coe was born in 1918 in Oklahoma city to like a gambling alcoholic dad who left his mom destitute. And at nine, he was put in an orphanage. So it's not a pretty past, but honestly, it doesn't even matter to me. His <laughs> past matters very little to our story. So as an adult, he also became an alcoholic. But then like when he was in his like in in the late 1930s, not when he was in his 30s, um, he had like a conversion experience at a Nazarene church and he said he was radically changed. So um, he decided he was going to go to the Assembly of God School, um, the Southwestern Bible Institute. And um, and then when Pearl Harbor happened, he went and joined um, the army to serve in the war. While he was there, he had a vision, you know, because he's just gotten done, like, getting involved in the Assemblies of God and had this, you know, this conversion experience. So he's reading the Bible every day when he's in the army and when he's deployed. And he had a vision of his sister, like, on her deathbed. And in his vision, like, he dreamed that she saw, like, a white light and everything. And then, like... I don't know when it, I don't know if he realized this after he came home or if he got a letter, but apparently she, she said that that actually happened, that she was really, really ill and she saw a white light and she was healed. And, um, then in 1944, he was still abroad and he contracted malaria and it was so bad that they sent him home. Like they were like, I don't know if you're going to make it like, right. eh, just go on, go on ahead. They assumed he was going to die. He had a white light experience. He says, this is by his story. And he said he was healed. And so he became obsessed with this idea of God healing people. Um, He became an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. And then, you know, around this time, this this new revival healing movement was happening. And so he joined up and soon was drawing thousands of people to his healings, saying that he could heal everybody else. Um, And I, you've got to watch these videos that I'm going to (laughs) share because... Like, I I didn't quite, like, I was reading all this research, and I didn't quite get, like, a grasp on who he was until I saw him perform. Mm -hmm. Because he's in this giant tent, and there are people streaming in, and they all want to get close to him. And he's standing up there on this, like, on this stage. And he is loud. And but when he's talking, I mean, he sounds like a demon possessed man. Like he's saying, like the stuff he's saying is supposed to be like, you know, Jesus is you're gonna have your Jesus experience, you're gonna have but he sounds like his voice is like, fucked up. His voice is like, so just it's like in a timber that it shouldn't be able to reach. Oh, wow. He's a big dude. He's like really, really broad. And he's he's got a very like intimidating, big presence. Wow. Um, so people called him like nervy, dynamic. Um, a lot of these other guys like Oral Roberts and, and Gordon Lindsay, people looked at as a little bit more 
formal, I guess, or maybe... Well, but, you think of like an elder in the church. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds right. And like, and this guy was like, he was almost like a rabble rouser in a way. Like he was, there's a guy who wrote um, a book called All Things Are Possible named David Harrell. And he said, um, he said that Coe thrived on controversy and he drew mm. lots of it with his rough and ready tactics. So it was like a fever pitch. You've mm. got to watch him preach in this video because, and it's a very short clip, but man, like... It's unnerving to watch him speak. He is screaming. Oh, wow. And um, so there's this author, J.D. King, who's written about him, too, says that um, when they're talking rough and ready tactics with this guy, like, so Co would stand up there. He would like he would go to these things and he would encourage people to break their canes and their walkers in half. He would encourage them to take he would take saws to people and remove their body casts like he would. so, and there's a video, I've got a video of this I'll share too. He, people would come up with severe back pain and say, I want you to heal me of severe back pain. And again, these people are standing in line for hours mm. waiting for his attention. And he'd be there for multiple days at a time. And um, so a guy goes up and says, and, and this happened multiple times to other people because it was in the book exactly the way it's in this video. Um, this person comes up and says, I have severe back pain. He asks them a couple of questions about like where it hurts, you know, and they point maybe to their lower back. This guy does in the video that I'll share. Um, and then he, he lays his hand on him and he prays, you know, talks about, you know, relieving him of his suffering, you know, praying, pouring the Holy Spirit out on him, turns the guy around, stands up. Co shoves his knee right in the center of his back, grabs him by the shoulders and hauls away at his shoulders, doubles him over backwards over his knee. And I mean, the looks on your faces are exactly what I expect any reasonable human being (laughs) to respond to this with, because it looks horribly painful. Then he kind of pushes him forward. He takes his arms up and down and up and down and up and down. And then he asks him if he's still hurting. Oh, He's, he's like diverting his attention. I, he's stunning him. He he's was just stunning like, him and he said to you, he said like, go touch your toes, you know, stand up. Can you touch your toes? See, you know, and mm-hmm. everybody's cheering. And the guy kind of looks like he's smiling. The guy said, you know, shock. no, I don't have any pain. But that's what I was thinking. I was like, you'd be in shock after this. You know, what are you going to say? Right. And um, but I will talk a little bit about the psychology of faith healing in just a second. <laughs> but this guy also said specifically in Birmingham, Alabama, Co had a revival where he snatched people out of wheelchairs and had them dropped on the floor to see if they could walk. He um, there was an observer. This is a quote from an observer. Co had 103 people in wheelchairs and crutches all in a line. So he goes down the line and pick people up out of the wheelchairs. And if they fell, he'd say they didn't have faith. Uh, if they walked and there were 63 of them in one meeting in Birmingham one night who walked out of their wheelchairs and got off their beds and they were afflicted. And this guy said there was no make believe it was true. And um, so we will talk about some of the psychology and like likely trickery that goes into some of this mm-hmm. also. But, you know, people believed because right. they saw like this guy did who had that quote, like 63 people in wheelchairs who stood up and um So, uh, but you know, his tactics were pretty severe, right? Right. Like not all these other faith preachers are going up, tossing people out of wheelchairs. Right. And so he was actually expelled from the assemblies of God in 1953. They supported his revivals and then he ended up having to support them himself through his own donations, which was no small thing either. You know, they always took up money at these things. right? Right. Um, but they said he was misleading the public. Um, Hmm. he told people not to 
not to seek medical treatment for illnesses. He told people that it was unchristian to go to a doctor or a hospital. Mm. So they were kind of like, okay, you know, that, eh, I don't know mm. about that. Um, you know, the American Medical Association started saying like this faith healing thing, uh, yeah. there's nothing to it. Co turned around and called them religious bigots and Bolsheviks. I was like, really? Bolsheviks? <laughs> um, and then when people said that they didn't get healed, he said, well, you know, like if they fell when he snatched their crutches away from under them, he said it was because they had no faith. Mm-hmm. And um, when the Assemblies of God expelled them, he started attacking them and saying that there was like faithlessness all the way up through their hierarchy. And he suggested that people who stood against him would be struck dead by God. So this is the kind of personality, you know, it doesn't sound even mildly, you know, power hungry or vain at all. Right. You know, but then that's the kind of personality you expect out of somebody who's going to draw thousands of people in for this kind of thing, I think, or I do anyway. Mm hmm. Um, And it's not like he didn't do anything good. Like he built a really big, you know, in Dallas, he built a really big um, orphanage. And, you know, so it's not like he didn't do anything. But like, talk about the vanity, like Oral Roberts used to say that he had the largest revival tent in the world. Well, Coe decided to go to an Oral Roberts revival and measure the fucking tent and then turned around and got one made that was three feet longer is bigger than any tent Ringling Brothers ever had. And, um... And then he brought it up all the time. Like mm-hmm. he had this new tent made and he, every time he g- went anywhere with this tent, he was like, I've got the biggest tent in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's like, comment here. It's exactly. And you know, so he makes enemies also mm-hmm. with all of this kind of thing. Um, and you know, I always assume that these guys are kind of living large because there's probably not a whole lot of accountability with money that you receive, like in hats going around, tense right. um so i have no proof of like the way that he dealt with his but that's my assumption anyway mm-hmm. so um there was a committee of lutheran uh, uh lutheran ministers and and doctors and theologians in 62 that was reported by time magazine as meeting and saying that faith healers are often less concerned with the spiritual and physical well-being of people than the demonstration of their personal power mm-hmm. or the attainment of prestige and financial gain oh, you think? so we would agree with this so why do people think they're being healed um this, this site called um, Archipologetics, some of the healings are psychosomatic. Right. So, you know, like you're saying, you go up and, you know, there's all this because they also built these healing things up, these revival meetings, so that like everybody is like at a frenzy before this magic preacher comes out mm-hmm. to heal everybody. So they've got everybody's adrenaline running through the roof. Right. And, and so like psychologically. Killer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why it managed a whole bunch of pain ailments like is because day, they would sure go up. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh. can you imagine? Um So a lot of it is psychosomatic. Um, They said there are many people who just weren't actually healed. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because they say that they've been healed when they're standing on the stage doesn't mean that it's taken place. Mm -hmm. The Church of Christ, and I can post this ad too. I found an ad in a newspaper from 1956 in March um, that was for, it was being posted opposite of Jack Coe's Tampa revival that he was trying to have. The Church of Christ posted a, a large ad in the paper that said a challenge to Jack Coe that laid out like 
If you will let someone examine these people before you do your thing and then let them examine them after and we follow these rules, then we'll stop attacking you for this. Mm -hmm. But you refuse to let anyone see any of them and you refuse to let them be examined. And they're like, and you're being a shyster, you know? Right. And um, but he's also telling like the the people that I'm sure like if they felt like hell the next day, they're like, well, my faith is strong enough to maintain it. Yeah. I mean, that's like really spiritually damaging to people long term. Yes. So, um, you know, so there's, there's that too, is, um, and there were also people who were plants in the audience, of course, I'm sure, um, you know, you get that. So it says, you know, you get the, you get the adrenaline rush. Um, it also, so there's this idea of positive confession that like in this belief system, this evangelical Protestant belief system, it's kind of that name it and claim it thing. Mm -hmm. So if they're up there and they don't immediately feel better after they've been quote unquote healed, if they say they haven't, then they're guaranteed to not be healed by that philosophy. right? Right. So if they say that they have, that's their only chance of actually feeling better. So, you know, I don't I don't know whether that makes a lot of sense, but, you know, that could play into it to some extent. And then there's this hero worship thing where, like, you're in a tent full of a bunch of raving maniacs who are for this guy Mm -hmm. and you're on a stage in front of all of them. And he asks you if you're feeling better. What the fuck are you going to say? Are you going to say no? (laughs) Like they will eat you alive. (laughs) They will, man. Christian got a long history of burning people. (laughs) Like, you know, they don't want to disappoint them. So, (laughs) so that's another factor here. And like I said, some people were just outright fakes. Like they, they had proof that there were audience plants. And it's also like their five seconds of fame. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause they're up there and now they can tell everybody for their entire life that they went up and got healed by Jack Coe or Oral Roberts. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are actually, I found some of these videos. I don't know if I'll post them or not, but I found some of these videos. There are magicians, a couple magicians who did videos like the breaking the magician's code, like the mask magician thing, which my kids are obsessed with right now who looked at faith healing practices and turned the trick inside out so that they could show people on the videos like how these faith healers actually performed some of the tricks that they did and one of the things um one of the things that they did i don't know if you've ever heard i had a friend who deeply believed in this stuff um someone that I, i very much love but um who went to church with me back when i lived in orlando and he told me about this miraculous moment where he saw someone who had two uneven length legs who had a healer come up and pull one leg and he his legs were the same length after that. And at and Patricia laughing and I was like, I was really trying not to too. Cause man, I love this man, but he was crazy as a nut. But that's I mean, what chiropractors do. It is. And well, it works. And you know what too though? <laughs> they didn't even do it. Because there is actually, there is a trick that they'll show you in this video if you ever want to watch it that like, and this was a common trick because it was in a couple of different books that I looked at. They, um, so you're, you're wearing shoes to these things, right? And Mm -hmm. you're sitting down in a chair. So they take, they take, you're trying to focus all of someone's attention on the shorter, Mm -hmm. like, or on the, yeah, on one of the two legs. Mm -hmm. Well, the other, the other foot, you're pulling that shoe off of the back of their ankle. So that when when you pull the one leg, you are making them look even, but it's only because one shoe is not actually all the way uh, on the foot. And so they're lining up the shoes. Not they're the lining legs. up the shoes, not the leg. Nothing is changing in I'm the saying, leg. I'm saying like if you've got like a DVD. But you're right. A chiropractor can't yeah, absolutely do that. Septum, that's the nose, right? <laughs> She's it's like, I can do that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that Thank was some. So and there was basic sleight of hand, too. So like. 
And by that, I mean, like the guy that he said he had back pain and he raised his arms up and down. I'm like, I'm gesticulating wildly here because it's really hard to imagine this without doing physical shit. Mm-hmm. But um, that guy and he so in the story that I was saying, Jack Coe told the guy with back pain, you know, arms up and down, pulled him backwards. And then he said, touch your toes. And the guy touched his toes and everybody cheered. Mm-hmm. He never said he couldn't touch his toes. Oh, <laughs> never once when he walked up there, did he say Smart that had fucker. anything to do with what was wrong with him? And that's the thing with the people in wheelchairs, too. Even if they weren't plants and in Birmingham, maybe there were 63 people in wheelchairs doesn't mean you can't walk. Right. You know, if you you can. There are a lot of reasons to be in a wheelchair besides I cannot physically take four steps in this direction. Right. Not everybody is like paralyzed. Exactly. The they, they don't they're not paralyzed necessarily. And so they may get up and legitimately walk on the adrenaline of that moment. And next day, like you said, be kicking themselves oh. for even trying to do it because right. they're in horrible pain. Right. right. So um, so there are a lot of reasons why people believed this um, and a lot of reasons why these guys kind of tried to avoid scrutiny mm. because there was probably a lot to scrutinize and be skeptical about. Right. And also we can talk about like his own malaria experience may have just been a natural occurrence because, you know, things do heal over time. Things oh, yeah. do get healed over time by the body. So like you could say, oh, this started when I went to this revival, I started feeling better it doesn't mean that that's why you started feeling better. Right. You know, it could just mean it was the time when your body started healing itself or somewhere right. near there. Right. Um, <clears throat> so here's that uniquely Southern part of the story after my rabbit hole on the psychology of healing. It, Fascinating. Um, happened in uh, Miami in 1956. And I had never heard of this happening before. So that's why I grabbed onto it. Co was doing a revival in Miami. It was um, 55 actually. When a woman named Ann Clark, and depending on the report, her husband was also there. Um, she brought her three-year-old son with polio oh, no. to a tent revival for Jack Cole to have him heal him. And um, yeah, see, if you're not already cringing, you're a horrible person. <laughs> like, that's all I have to say. This is so bad. So um, Cole told the parents to remove this boy's leg braces. This three-year-old boy with polio told him to remove his leg braces. He said, if you believe Jesus heals the child, take the braces off and leave them off. Mm. So she did it. And he tried to walk and he collapsed. And um, But because he had told her to leave the braces off, she left them off for a while. And the kid was in constant pain this poor little three-year-old boy and his legs began to swell. So she Mm -hmm. took him to the doctor who ordered the braces to be put on. Mm -hmm. And after a little while, the Clarks decided to press charges. Now the boy ended up, he, he healed again after, you know, after his legs were swelling, he put them back in the braces where they should have been all along. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, this isn't like a horrible sad ending for this little boy. Oh, thank God. Okay. Um, no, it's, it's not. I I will relieve you of that right now. (laughs) But, um, the, the Clarks pressed charges against him. Well, good for them. And, um, in February, 1956, Jack Coe was arrested in Miami for practicing medicine without a license, which is a felony in the state of Florida. Okay. And he was put in Dade County prison and released on a $5,000 bond. So, um, when they had the hearing for this, it was late in February or middle of February, I guess. I would have um, loved to have been in that courtroom. He, it, been... Everyone was in the courtroom. They called it like the Miami version of the Scopes trial. Mm. They, um, he had called every other evangelist that he knew all over the world to come support him in person to mm-hmm. like stand and, and, you know, be witness for him there. And so there were hundreds of just, you know, average Joe Christian people who would show up at a revival tent who showed up at this hearing. It was standing room only inside the courtroom and they were all the way through the hallways and all the way out into the street. And, um, 
some of them, yeah, like I said, it was compared to the Scopes trial because it was highly publicized. Um, and see, just like, I think just like Scopes, like a lot of these other evangelists, they just used it as a podium for themselves. Oh, yeah. So they got up on the that witness was a great stand. Press oh, yeah. And like they would talk and talk and talk. And sometimes it had nothing to do with Jack Coe. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it had nothing at all to do with the case. Um, and they would just talk and talk. They debated, they debated the meaning of active faith. They talked about their own ministries. But this one, this one really got me. Um, Gordon Lindsay, this other faith faith healer. God, spoke in Coe's defense. This is what he said. <laughs> this woman, by that he means Ann Clark, who has a name, mm-hmm. um, knew nothing about the conditions upon which divine healing is based. She had heard that miracles were taking place and she had only one thought, and that was to get her child into the healing line. As though that's an unreasonable fucking thing for her to do. Right. When, sounds- when she was told to wait her turn and receive instruction for healing, she became hysterical, which mm-hmm. is a word I love to hear Good men word. use about women. Mm-hmm. Soundly abusing the workers for not letting her get her boy into the healing line at once. No one else, as far as I know, corroborated his testimony on mm-hmm. this. Nobody else has. And a lot of people said the husband was also there. Like nobody talks about her abusing people in line. So um, he's saying he said she was later to testify on the witness stand that she belonged to a nominal church but had not attended for eight years again as though this is a like condemnation against her because she made herself such a nuisance in trying to get her child prayed for this is coming out of an evangelist's mouth the workers permitted her on the second night to get her child into the line um let's see when brother co came to the woman he said if jesus heals the child take the braces off and leave them off that's what you know this is an act of faith commonly called for he said even by Jesus when he ministered to the sick, because Jack Coe is like Jesus. But no minister of divine healing makes a guarantee that people who are not serving God will be healed, neither they nor their children. So this I guy, no words. I, I, no I know, words. I know. I was just floored by, wow, he's proud of himself while he says all this. He's really proud of himself. Um, after two days, a very exhausted justice of the peace dismissed the case, being Ugh. tired of being lambasted by all these idiot oh, preachers. Oh my God. Could you um, imagine? Yeah. Because Florida exempts divine healing from law was basically what it was. Uh. He didn't have to stand trial. So, um, <laughs> so here's the, here's the real divine part of this, I think. Um, so I told you that he discouraged people from going to the doctor. You know, he actually said at one point that like going to the doctor would get you the mark of the beast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, when he started getting sick mm-hmm. later on that very year, mm-hmm. karma <laughs> with polio. Oh my God. <laughs> really? <laughs> he went to the fucking doctor <gasps> and, um, died in December like less than a year after this trial Car- of polio. And I don't, I'm sorry, no. I'm smiling to hear this, but it just no. seems very, it, there was one site that said it would be difficult not to see the hand of God in such a remarkable coincidence. Mm. Um, so yeah, his son though is now a faith healer also, oh. Jack Coe Jr. Um, and you know, I like, I want to say like, just to, like I told you, like my friend Mike from high school was like, when did you stop being a Christian when I started doing this podcast? <laughs> and just to, that's not true. <laughs> just to, just to calm y'all down a little bit. I don't think that uh, fighting against this type of like bastardized Christianity is unchristian in the oh, least. Absolutely. And neither do a lot of people. So one of the things that like is said was like, you, 
in scripture, we're told to be alert and sober-minded. We're not supposed to be out of control, is a quote from um, Hank Hanegraaff, who who wrote a book called Counterfeit Revival, which was all about this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, that Lutheran committee that I mentioned that Time Magazine wrote about in 1962 Mm -hmm. had said, God couldn't... God could indeed perform miraculous cures, but it cannot be assumed that because of Christ's victory in their lives, Christian can expect healing effects not available to other people. Mm. Um, and that, you know, Haler, like kind of what you said, healers endanger the whole spiritual life of believers by leaving the implications that failure to be cured is due to lack of faith on the part of the afflicted. So I don't know. I just keep on thinking like... I, Jesus Jesus was not interested in announcing his name in the newspapers and having no. like 30,000 people show up to be turned away from him and if he their wasn't fucking career had chop polio you to make you wall. I know. So, uh yeah. So anyway, televangelists of course have now picked up the torch on all of this kind of stuff. So it's not like it died away, but the movement of tent revival actually sort of died in 57. Thank um, God. So, there you go. That's my Easter Ooh. story. Man. That was great. Let's take a quick break. Okay. All right. And we are back. So, y'all, this is the reason that I wanted Marlea to do this podcast with me. It's like her (laughs) amazing, interesting storytelling skills. Oh, thanks for saying that. Because I was sitting there thinking like, oh, man, that one was really long. (gasps) No, no, that was perfect. Because, I mean, you had like five or six sheets of paper. I've got maybe two i got like one really and this like triple space too so i've got like maybe one so it's perfect and i don't think ours is thematically counterweighted against one another but they're definitely on different spectrums oh okay different sides all right so (laughs) you're gonna laugh Sorry. Okay, let me get my my brain around this. I am. <laughs> oh my god, you can't even say it I without laughing. It. <laughs> I can't. Okay, I am doing Normie the Lake Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Normie. <laughs> well, when I was doing the um the map yesterday, I was like, you know, looking at where our holes are regionally, and I was like, we've completely. This is in North Car- uh, Carolina. And, oh yay! And so I wanted to do like a couple of more there, but then I was looking, and we have like done nothing in like Arkansas. Oh, I never and even think is Arkansas south. <laughs> I consider them southern or I south. Missouri yeah. thinks that they're south too. No, they're Missouri not. is definitely not south. <laughs> Arkansas, um, yes. Yes, Arkansas, yes. Missouri, no. And then we've like done, you know, concentrated specifically in New Orleans, mm-hmm. but nothing else in Louisiana. Oh, and I'm sure Louisiana has like a ton of stuff. But also, we've done like I've done one Bigfoot cryptic. Mm-hmm. So I thought we need some more. We need some more here. Awesome. So we're doing Normie, the Normie. Lake Monster of Lake Norman. Of course, I typed normal. That's not right. Like normal. So North Carolina is really a beautiful state. So it's basically average size state compared to the rest of the U.S. However, it has like almost 10 million residents for the size of it. Uh, It also is home to one of the highest points in uh, North America, east of the Mississippi River. So just like Alabama has Mount Cheeha, which is our highest peak, they Mm -hmm. have like the highest peak in uh, North America, east of the Mississippi River. Do you know what it's called, by any chance? I didn't... Oh, Mount Mitchell? Mount Mitchell. Oh, my cousin was just talking about that place last weekend. Mm-hmm. 
And it also, so it has like these beautiful tall mountains and valleys and it has 300 miles of coastland. And um, it also has a lot of timber, big industry timber there, right? So it's beautiful. It is like, it has everything you could want if you were like an outdoors person. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, I, um, I, I interrupt you and tell you. No, please do. That like, uh, when I was in high school, we went to, my dad was stationed in, at a base in what, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, so we would go there and visit every once in a while because we were still living in Virginia when he was stationed there. And we went on a family vacation to um, Lake Lure and Chimney Rock Park. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I love those two places. Because Lake Lure, by the way, was the place where um, they filmed Dirty Dancing. The hotel oh, that they wow. filmed in Dirty Dancing yeah. was in was on the other side of Lake Lure, though it unfortunately burned down. And Chimney right. Rock was where they uh, filmed The Last of the Mohicans. So oh, if you have yeah. any, like, if go to any restaurant in that area and they'll have, like, one picture on one side of Patrick Swayze and the other one of um, Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis. Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. So it's like these hot, like, smoldering men just staring <laughs> down at you at every cash register. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, yes, my first memories of North Carolina's uh, when I was still Methodist and went to uh, Lake Junluska there, which was a Methodist oh. uh, church camp that we would go to. And it's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Okay. So, Lake Norman, though, and I don't think I put, it's like outside of some place in North Carolina that I'm at <laughs> right now. <laughs> But it's like this huge lake system, and it's man-made. Oh, it's north of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. So it's just north of Charlotte. And it's like 34 miles long, and it has like 510 miles of shore. So like it's this huge uh, man-made lake, and it's so large that it actually qualifies to be named an inland sea. Oh, wow. And it's like, yeah, one of the few lakes in the U.S., I guess that to to be named that, but I it's, it's that, that big. Um, it's 130 feet deep in some areas, and it averages though about 30 feet deep. And what they did is like back in the 60s, they built this uh, Cohen Ford Dam, which is a hydro um, hydroelectronic plant dam, or it was a dam to push water to a nuclear plant that they had built Mm -hmm. and it stopped so this this um river what did they call the river i don't see it i'll I'll come to it in just a second but this (laughs) river that that comes through that they dammed up actually like goes all the way down starts west north carolina northwest comes down cuts through south carolina and then empties into the sea so the river actually like goes out into the atlanta uh, atlanta atlantic um so this kind of like keep this in mind when we're talking about old normie here normie normie all right so the dam was built in the 60s and it was is it the catawba river yeah the catawba river but it actually turns into like three other rivers along the way and as it crosses states so um, the dam was built to help supply water to cool off the reactors from the McGuire nuclear station. Um, and it's at the southern part of the lake. So everything back is like, you know, flooded and created this huge lake. And they've got like golf courses. They got like these huge homes. So it's really like this well-to-do, nice lakefront you know, they have fishing tournaments. It's like a haven for fishermen and stuff in, in this place. And it's, I mean, it's huge. 
And um, so right after they built the dam, and I think on the southern end where they built the dam, um, it's the deepest. It's the 130 foot. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of years afterwards, they went down to repair some stuff in the dam, and a couple of divers saw a large creature mm-hmm. that kind of scared them, and they couldn't identify. And so this is when the talk starts up in present day about Normie, right? <laughs> they also, it's kind of known through the residents there that you don't go swimming near the dam <gasps> because... There are catfishes as large as Volkswagens there towards the dam. And so we'll talk about that in just a little bit. You know, that is not impossible. Catfishes are just like ungodly big. So before they dammed all this up, when it was still just a river system, the Catapa people um, have a tale of uh, a bunch of people on the shore one day see something out in the middle of the river. So a guy goes out in his canoe and he goes to investigate and he sees like this big snake like thing attacking another animal and so of course he wants to try to like shoot it with his bow and arrow to kill it and bring it back on shore to see what it is Mm -hmm. so he shoots it with his bow and arrow and it bounces off the skin -uh. and it turns around because it's pissed off pissed (laughs) it off and it starts like following him and it attacks him. It throws him from the canoe. Oh my God. Brings him underwater and it kills him. And what? like this is like in front of all the Catapa people, which were the Native American tribe that lived um, near this river system at the time. And so there's tales like as old, you know, before this area was settled of something unknown attacking people. And it was known like where you cross the river that some people would be like pulled under. And never show up again by something in the river. Oh, my. So this was talked about. And it wasn't just here at, like, the Lake Norman um, area. It was pretty much all up and down this lake or this river system. Because they didn't dam up and create a lake until the 60s. So that was the earlier tale. And then, of course, there's a website. um, Because once they built the dam... uh, And it was, like, soon afterwards, people started to, like, see something that they couldn't identify throughout this lake. And there was several people. And it became, like, so popular that this guy, like, created this website. And it's LakeNormanMonster.com. And you can go there. And if you had an experience, you can tell your story. (laughs) That's right. And if you see, like, the little avatar for Norm, Normie, you can understand why he's called Normie. Is he waving at me? I don't know. (laughs) So one of the other, um, or one of the many stories that was told uh, was a guy that was tubing and he had just fallen from um, off the tube from a quick turn there on the lake. And he was floating in the water, waiting for the boat as you do. Like if you've ever been water skiing, to me, that is like the most nerve wracking time is like Mm -hmm. just bobbing in the water, waiting for the boat to come around so that you can like get on top of the water. Cause I am of the Jaws era, and I don't care if I'm in a lake. Oh, I know. I'm there the is same something way. that wants my toes for lunch. I remember, I remember going to the lake with my aunt and uncle, and like just always thinking like sharks were going to get me. And it didn't even matter if there were no. There's no way there are sharks here. It's like terrifying. Right? No, no. But something, something as something big and bad you. as a shark could do that. Um, so he's sitting there. And uh, waiting for the boat, and he saw this large neck emerge from the water about five feet in the air, 
And of course, he was terrified um, because it was only about 40 meters away from him. Meters? Where's this guy from? (laughs) Um, And he didn't know, you know, he didn't know if it was mean or not. He didn't know, you know, if it was like friendly, if it was like hungry, what was going on. So he turned and started to swim towards the boat that his dad was coming around. um, And he sped up. His dad actually sped up because he saw the thing, too. Oh. And when the boat, um, we got on the boat, he said it disappeared right after um, they turned around. Hmm. So he saw it, and then his dad saw it, sped up, came and picked him up. So a ton of stories like that of, like, things appearing, like, wakes being, like, seen throughout the lake and rocking the boats, you know, of something big, but not being able to identify it. Mm-hmm. And there's some photos. And of course, it's like the typical photos, even nowadays, when we have like all the good cameras. Oh, yeah. It's like the typical photos of like, I don't really, it could be an otter. I, I can't really identify <laughs> what this is, right? <laughs> so, and it comes in waves. So I watched like a little, uh, not unsolved mysteries kind of thing, but like a little cryptic like video television show about this. And they said that this comes in waves. So it it appears and then people don't talk about it. And then it comes up and people talk about it and then disappears and people don't talk about it. But um, in 2002, people start seeing Normie again. And this lake, which was once like a river system, that went all the way to the sea, it's had, like, freshwater jellyfish in it before. Oh. And there are alligators there. Mm-hmm. And um, so there are things, obviously, if we go back to the Catawba people, there's things that have been living in this river for a really long time mm-hmm. that we may or may not have been able to identify. So some of the guesses are what it is. Some think it's a crocodile, which I'm like, we're in America. It's an alligator. <laughs> right? Some think it's an enormous fish, which, you know... Um, and that like car sized fish, so you know, catfish and whatnot. And at least 50 people, like I said, have claimed to have actually seen Normie. I would be afraid of a catfish that size. I mean, like, even if it's a catfish, I would be afraid. Uh, I d- yeah, I don't like touching catfish, they like poke you. I <laughs> got like the little lances for whiskers, right? Um, Let's see. All right. So let's go back and talk about the dam and actually the nuclear plant. That's there. what I was going to say. I was like, it's so always there's the other theories, plants. of course. Right. And this is kind of a little disturbing to me. OK, so they say like the the lowest part is over by the dam. And usually when you have a dam, that's where you know, like catfish get really big for some reason. Especially when you have a dam that's bringing in, that's cooling off the reactors, and then they release the hot water back into the lake. Oh. And so you have this warm area, this warm spots of water throughout the year, and that's where the fish are going to accumulate. And of course, that's where the big fish go, because that's where everybody goes, because mm-hmm. it's warmer, right? And so it's warm pretty much all years around. And one of the guys I was interviewed, he's like, oh yeah, he's like... You know, the hot water coming out um, from the dam, he's like, you could swim in the lake year round because it's warm. And I'm like, who wants to swim (laughs) in water that's been cooling off a reactor? I mean, I just like Homer Simpson's like the whole time. I'm just saying Homer Simpson's and like the three eyed -eyed fish. fish. (laughs) Yes, the whole thing. Crazy enough, though, they have been um, like, some species introduced to the lake system that were not native like the wyoming buffalo carp 
and the hmm. Arkansas blue catfish. And they're thinking that um, there may be a genetic mutation or some kind of crossbreeding more likely between these fish hmm. to produce a, lo- a larger fish. And like the buffalo carp and the um, blue catfish, they're huge fish. I mean, they were like, well, I mean, bro- it's named like buffalo. Huge, like- yeah, fish. And so they're thinking like they're living in these warmer waters, deeper waters that have all of these smaller fish and they're eating really well, then they're becoming like really big. Super um, fish. Super fish. Yeah. And I think they actually introduced these fish because they, um, they thought it would, they would, um, some of it was like to eat off some of the intrusive, um, uh, floral or fauna or something that was like prevalent. I don't know. I'm not religious person so i don't i don't know what their <laughs> reasoning but also because some of them was just to eat mm-hmm. they thought that they would get really big and that it would be like you know more bang for the buck if you caught it and were able to eat it but who the fuck would want to eat a fish near a nuclear <laughs> reactor right i'm just saying you know and um so another theory again so we talked about them releasing these fish but another um theory was that there were biology um, biologists experimenting on mutating fish genes mm. um during this time as well and that could have something to do with it but the way that Susan's they, shaking her head she's like they do that in labs yeah exactly so <laughs> yeah. this is all you can't just do that yeah, <laughs> this is all the speculation and stuff that that's going on um but yeah they were rogue biologists they were rogue <laughs> they were biologists. rogue biologists they were evil rogue biologists <laughs> i love the story let's go with that but you can go there and they have tours and of course somebody did a book and they've got the website and it's really be kind of become like a fun children's thing well because i was gonna say i went to the website as soon as you said and it is like <laughs> there's like the first thing on the website is normie the lake norman monster children's storybook buy from amazon and it's got this picture of this adorable little like jep anime like little dragon creature with sea animal ears in its arm and one like up waving at you oh hey, yeah it's got a big smile Oh, absolutely. So it's like, it don't was, fear the sea monster, children. Right. Um, yeah, they swim were, towards him. Yeah. And they were like, they were comparing it really. Like most of the, the comparisons were to, what is it? The um, plesiosaurus. Oh. So like the big water, you know, with the fins and the long neck and the crocodile kind of mouth and yeah. stuff. Well, you know, that don't they say that like there are, especially like in the reptile and amphibian world, like there are a lot of animals or creatures that are basically left over from dinosaur times, like that they haven't changed that. Like alligators alone haven't changed like a ton. Right. And if you've like ever seen a big fucking gar or called a oh gar, my God, raw, gar like, terrifying, just, they are terrifying and they're aggressive. And that's all I was thinking of when you yeah. first started talking about that. I was like, I wonder if it's a big old monster. Gar. It could very well be. That's my thinking. But I thought that was fun. And um, so they do tours, a, you said they like, do tours. Are you hunt, like like whale whale watching? You can tours? like you like, can go. Yeah. Normie, normie watching. Normie watching tours. And of course, it's great for, you know, business on the little documentary I was watching. They had like the guy in um, charge of. Uh, oh, crap. What does it call? Uh, economic development there and oh. they're like oh yeah we love normie you know it brings in you know gets people talking people come to the lake everybody's up at the crack of dawn. through that damn man just <sighs> wait until it takes down that nuclear plant that's right <laughs> wait till it grows legs and we're fucked <laughs> 
<laughs> Have we not watched Japanese movies from the 60s? Right. <laughs> all the results nothing. of the people are nothing. All, all because of the atom bomb. Everybody's imagination, like mutations and right out of the 50s. They're going to eat the whole town. Yes. <laughs> so that's my story. I like Normie. Normie. <laughs> all right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Thank and you. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at thestrangesouthpodcast.com or on our website, thestrangesouth.com. Yes. Thank you. <laughs>